Hey everyone, this is Stefan Miller and welcome to The Forever Student. We are switching lanes a little bit today from the last two episodes. We are still very much focusing on providing you with the tools and the resources to deal with these uncertain times. And today we're going to dig a little deeper into mental health and well-being. We are very excited to be joined by a psychologist, mental health advocate, entrepreneur, and the founder of The Lighthouse, a center of well-being, Dr. Saliha Afridi. Welcome to The Forever Student. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Stephen. Before we dive in, um, we really want to know a little bit more about you. So could you tell us a bit about The Lighthouse and how you entered the field of mental health and wellness? Sure. So The Lighthouse Arabia is a mental health and wellness center in Umsukim, Dubai. We are basically a community mental health outpatient well-being clinic, which provides psychological and psychiatric care for children, adolescents, couples, adults, and families. Um, we also provide speech and language therapy and occupational therapy. Um, the Lighthouse Arabia is one of the largest centers for mental health in the region definitely the largest group of psychologists in the region. And we are also the home of the Mental Health First Aid. We are the only licensed provider for Mental Health First Aid, which is a world-renowned program, which is evidence-based, which teaches people how to respond to mental health crises and be a first responder in such situations. So we provide that at the Lighthouse. I consider the Lighthouse Arabia to almost be a social enterprise, and our primary mission is to make sure that everyone everywhere has some access to mental health, whether it be education, support, therapy, which is why one of the biggest initiatives we have is education. So we provide hundreds of hours amongst the team of free community education on topics related to parenting, wellness, mental health. Um, yeah, we've done hundreds of hours of that. And then we also have the largest house of support groups basically that are run by psychologists within the region for sure. And we have about 17 support groups running led by senior clinicians to support people as they go through different issues such as job loss or single parenting or racism or parenting in COVID, name it, um, we have it. And especially uh, one of the biggest initiatives we have is grief support group. Um, so grief and loss associated with mother, uh, women who've lost mothers, but general support group for grief, as well as support groups for parents and um, loss around miscarriages and things of that. Um, so those would be the different things that we do at the Lighthouse in a nutshell, but I could probably go on and on, but I'm not going to, but that's basically top line what the Lighthouse Arabia is. Now, my journey into Lighthouse uh, I, actually, my journey into mental health is a, a, you know, maybe 16, 17 years ago. And I have, um, I was in lots of different things before then. I had studied anthropology as an undergrad. I was studying Chinese. I was going to go into international business. My first job out of college was actually in marketing. And then I had like an epiphany moment where I was like, listen, I can't be selling things to people they don't need for the rest of my life. I need to be doing something. And so it is a very long answer, but my short answer of that question is that I have always listened to that voice inside of me that says, eh, that's not it. And I've just never been, um, never felt it was too late for me to switch courses. And so I have studied uh, biokinetics. I have studied real estate. I have studied, um, uh, anthropology, Chinese, moving into marketing, journalism. I've studied all of these things and then, nope, that's not it. Nope, that's not it. Nope, that's not it. And eventually found myself to be very, very curious about human beings and following that and realizing that 
anthropology was the study of human culture and under wanting deeply wanting to understand what that meant. And so that was my undergraduate degree. And then I wanted to understand the psyche and the mechanics of human thinking and feeling. And that led me into psychology. And it was some, actually, I did move into studying dentistry at one point also. And so that wasn't it either. Um, And then when I started studying psychology, I said, yeah, that's it. And, and I tell myself now, um, that the day I feel like this isn't it anymore, um, that's the day I'll probably go do something else. That's amazing. I feel that that's probably the best way to also sort of discover what you're really passionate about and what really is for you is by really just trying a bunch of different things for as long as it interests you. And then it's either something that really clicks or it's something where you're like, okay, let's try the next thing and the next thing um, until that really, yeah. So I've been following your your journey slash uh, your social media for quite some time. And I think in the last six months or so, I feel that you've you've posted a tremendous amount of really valuable content that's really tailored towards the times that we're in. And the times that we're in are obviously tough times for a lot of different people who are dealing with anxiety or stress or just, you know, a general sort of uncertainty and fear of what's going to happen in the future. In your opinion, what do you feel are sort of the best ways to deal with times like these? Well, I think life was always uncertain, but we had the illusion of certainty. And we've always just, I mean, we never know what tomorrow brings. We never know what the next moment brings, but because we were all just used to a certain rhythm and a routine, we felt there was certainty. So now we are sure that everything is uncertain. And so I think it's important to maybe think about a few things as we are in these times. One, I think it's very important that we name our grief and our loss. We have all been through so many changes and so much loss, a loss of normalcy, a loss of routine, a loss of rhythm, a loss of being able to see people's faces when we go out, a loss of being able to just go out freely and travel freely, a loss of our rituals that bound us and things like graduations and uh, funerals and weddings, a loss of being able to um, make a plan and then stick to it, a loss of spontaneity, right? There's so many big losses and then little losses, a loss of economic certainty, a loss uh, a loss of yeah, there's, there's so many losses. I could go on and on. So that's one thing that I would say is that be gentle with yourself, right? The expectations you would have had of yourself, and we all had really big expectations, I would say, of 2020. We were all going to change our life and everything was going to be great. And this was 2020 and here we come. And then it was like, oh, never mind. <laughs> and then we got hit from like left side and the front and the back and above and And so, okay, so it didn't go according to plan, but, you know, just name that and then be easy on yourself, be gentle with yourself. So I would say anytime there is uncertainty and life can throw lots of curveballs at us, you know, we can lose our job at any point, not just COVID. We can have a death in the family, which is unexpected. We can um, go through a divorce. We can go through a breakup. We can go through a move. We can get new, newly married. All of these things are very uncertain in our, you know, these events are uncertain. So we don't know what to expect. So I would say in times of uncertainty, lift the pressure off, lift the expectations off in the way that you would say, okay, my number one and two priorities are my physical health and my psychological health, period. And I would become very, very hyper-focused on those two particular things. And of course, the, you know, I have four children and so it would be their physical and psychological health. So I'm not thinking, are they going to top their academics this year? I'm thinking, are they going to do good enough? And then are they going to be happy and are they going to be engaged and are they going to be balanced and are they going to be resilient? So lift the pressure off and focus on physical and psychological safety. 
And know that it takes about six weeks for the psyche to organize itself. So the psyche shifts, you know. So when there's a new change brought to you, you're going to need almost six weeks for that to lock in. Usually in about three, four weeks, our body says, our mind says, all right, I think I got this. I think I got this. And then the last two weeks usually to lock something in. So give yourself 40 days to adjust. And then I promise you that the psyche in itself is creative and it will actually say, all right, let's take on a project now that I've adjusted. Like maybe I can take a course online or maybe I can paint my garage or whatever else you want to do, but don't put that pressure on yourself. And I think this is where a lot of people went wrong in times of COVID. They're like, oh my God, look at all the time that I have. Uh Uh-uh. Your psyche needs space to adjust. So don't put that pressure of reading that book list and then, you know, doing that Pinterest project because you first need to adjust and then then you will come to a place where you will do that. So physical and psychological safety should take priority at that time. And with physical safety, it really is making sure that you're taking the necessary precautions in any time of your life. So in physical safety, if you're going through a divorce, let's just say it's going to be making sure your finances are in place, making sure your rent is in place, making sure these are some of the things you're going to think about physical safety, roof over my head, food on the table. Um, But in COVID times, making sure that you're taking all the necessary precautions. Do I know where I need to go get a test? Do I know have my sanitizer? Do I have my little kit? And then um, it would also be to strengthen your physical body. Because when we are in times of uncertainty, our mind is moving 200 miles an hour. And we need to, we don't go in through the mind. We go in through the body. So if I tell you, Stephen, don't think about a yellow Jeep. Do not think about a yellow Jeep. Guess what you're thinking about? You probably never thought about a yellow Jeep before, but you're probably thinking about a yellow Jeep. So you don't go in through the mind when you're trying to get to the mind. You actually go in through the body and make your way up to the mind and the mind actually organizes itself. So when your mind feels out of control, exercise. Make sure you're eating right. Make sure you're drinking two liters of water and that you're really, really hydrated. Make sure that you're taking your probiotics, especially if you're using a lot of antibacterial because it's killing off the good bacteria in our gut and that travels into the brain. So all of these things, making sure your physical body is in optimal shape, I promise you the mind will align. But when we usually, the first things that go out the window are our physical body. Oh, you start to sleep at two o'clock because you're watching Netflix and then you start to order burgers and pizza and then you're not exercising because you feel so tired in the morning. That's precisely what you should not do. Focus on the physical body and the mental body will follow. How do you think? Okay, no, but that's a that's a great answer. And there's a few things that I wanted to touch on based on what you just said. I think the first question I have is, where do you think people went wrong in the last six months? And I think you kind of touched on that. But like, where do you think, you know, people went wrong? Because in, in my in my opinion, it's been really about people trying to take on too much in one go because they've had the privilege of more time. Um, But where do you think that that's gone wrong? We always had the same amount of time. So let's just be clear about that. Our time did not increase. 24 hours is all we had pre-COVID. This is all we have now. People have the illusion because there's less hecticness in our life. But because I'm not driving to this place and I'm not going to that place and I'm not traveling. So there's less hecticness in our life, but the time remains, the job remains. And so I think when people didn't have as much hecticness outside of them, they created that hecticness for them because on some level, we are addicted to that hecticness. We are addicted to going from one place and doing that one thing. And we are wanting to be distracted because we would do anything other than to just sit with ourselves and actually spend time with ourselves. Because then the thoughts come up and then the worries come up and then we run from ourselves. So we watch our Netflix or we get on social media or, or, or. So that's probably one of the biggest things we did is that 
when the hecticness was removed from us, we created another hecticness for us. Social media usage has never been higher. Netflix streaming has never been higher. We have YouTube streaming that has never been higher. So people are consuming lots and lots of content. So it's not like everybody just said, all right, I have this time now. They started distracting themselves using other means and creating a lot of noise in their head. Now, when you go on Instagram, you're not just looking at a picture. A picture has a story and that story is reverberating inside of you. And people are not very conscious about what they're putting in their mind. So that's one thing that I would say is that people just mindlessly connected. They were not consciously connected. And that mindless connection or that up, up in um, you know, usage, uh, increased usage of content or, or taking in of content created a lot of noise in people's heads. It's overwhelming. You know, from mindfulschools.org, there's a, you know, a researcher who said that in one day of a newspaper, we consume more information than a person did in a whole lifetime in this 17th century. So you're saying, okay, whole lifetime, maybe 35, 40 years. Okay, 40 years and one day of a newspaper. I'm not telling you social media. I'm not telling you Netflix. I'm not telling you the billboards you drive across. I'm not telling you, you know, email. All of this information going into our mind. And then we're wondering why we're losing our mind. It's too much for the brain to take in this much information. We cannot process it all. And so it overwhelms us. So I would say that's where one, one of the things we did wrong. The second thing we did wrong, um, well, we did wrong because no one knew how to do this. So let me just be first very clear that when we say unprecedented, which is like the, my new next, you know, annoying <laughs> word of the, uh, of the year, unprecedented, we, we actually like, we have no clue. We have no idea how to do this, right? So we were just all winging it. And so the illusion of more time, we fill it with more hecticness. And then we actually are sprinting. We are, oh, let me do this and let me do that. Let me do that. We're not realizing that this is a marathon, honey. This ain't going away anytime soon. So how are we going to stay in the long haul? How are we going to do this thing for the long run? And I think this is where a lot of people just burnt out or got fatigue or compassion fatigue right around, um, you know, June, July. Everybody just flattened out at that point. And I think people are still flattened out because it's just like, oh, wait, I thought this was going to be over. And now we're like, okay, come on, it's ready. And it's like, yeah, we're still in it. And the numbers are still high. And so I think the marathon mindset is probably another thing. There's so many things I think people could do differently and could do better and probably did wrong. Um, and then I think the third thing is that people just threw out their good habits you know, they were not exercising because we were in lockdown. So it's like, okay, well, you can still walk around your apartment, like just get some move, like move. So it became very, very sedentary. And this is again, very bad for anxiety. Uh, we actually started eating a lot of delivery and ordering in and we just didn't want to go to the grocery store, don't want to deal with that. And so ordering, and even though delivery has some like really healthy options, but like we did not go for the healthy option. We went for the burger instead. And then not hydrating, not looking after our body, endless, endless, endless hours of Netflixing. And so this is what we did wrong. We, we didn't do the basics, basically. Looking at like the, because I think one of the, one of the big things that you mentioned, and I can completely agree with, and I think I've, I've, I'm guilty of this myself, is the amount of content and noise that has been present in our minds and in our brains, uh, as a result of social media, as a result of whatever else has happened, how would you go about sort of drowning out that noise or dealing with that noise effectively? You don't need to drown anything. We just need to turn it off. You know, that's it. Just unplug. And I think creating moments of stillness in your day. Now, for someone who is addicted, and by the way, it is a physiological, neurological addiction. This is not like me just 
using it, you know, and in a colloquial sort of sense, this is a real addiction. They have detox centers, they have treatment centers for this kind of stuff. And so we are addicted to work. We're addicted to distraction. We are addicted to content, right? Mindless, mind numbing stuff. And I would say finding periods. So let's just start with five minutes, right? In, in those liminal spaces where I just got off of one meeting and right before I logged on to yours, that's when you people scroll, right? They immediately go, hey, let me see what's happening on there. Let me see what's going on. And then let me check my WhatsApp. Let me answer the 500 messages I have on there. And then I come online. So I didn't get that pause. I didn't get that time to transition, which naturally might have been happening if I was going from your location driving perhaps like you get a little bit of transition space and so people are filling in those transition spaces with this scrolling right we also so creating those small little periods of five minutes where I make myself a cup of tea and I might just sit without this thing in my face and just look out the window pause now I can tell you Probably 99% of the people can't do that at this point because they just feel like, oh, I should be doing something. I should be, you know, so we're addicted to hecticness, productivity, content scrolling. And we also have to remember that these guys up in Silicon Valley who are creating these apps want us to have high engagement. And so they will do anything in their power to get us to be highly engaged, i.e. addicted. And so we are up against these giants, right? Giants who have their, you know, people's minds, um, over 2 billion people under one company. Like, think about that. Like when you start to like zoom out a little bit and say, all right, who's in charge here? It ain't me. Because every time this phone dings or blings, I pick it up like a Pavlovian dog and just start looking at it. So turn off your notifications. Make moments of stillness in your day. Make moments of transitions in your day where you might just walk around your room and just, okay, now I'm ready for the next meeting. And then you walk around your room and now I'm ready for the next meeting. When you go for a walk or when you exercise, don't listen to anything if you can avoid it. Again, create moments of stillness. And then what I do, because I take my solitude very seriously, I actually have once a month where I do like a whole weekend. So it starts Wednesday afternoon, Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday half day. So it's three days where I shut it down. I don't read books. I don't look at content. I don't create content. And I'm just spending time with myself. Now, this is like high level stuff. Okay. So not everybody can do this. How about you just start with five minutes of stillness in your day, drop it, drop it, drop it, and then extend it to 10 and extend it to 20. And meditation, which used to be like something that, you know, maybe you imagine tree huggers to do, it is no longer any, you know, esoteric kind of people that do it. It is a mandatory for all of us to still our minds for a little bit every single day. Because if not, I can imagine it's going to be burning out. I, I heard a great quote that said, if you don't have time or you think you're too busy for 10 minutes of meditation a day, you probably need an hour. Exactly. Basically. 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 And this, it's it, no, when people say, I don't have time, they should, um, they should rephrase that, that this is not important to me. I agree. Yeah. Instead of saying, I don't have time, because no one doesn't have time. Everyone has time. I don't care who you are. I mean, I know having four children, getting my doctorate degree, opening up the lighthouse, all of that, and still studying, and still, and still. I'm not saying that I've got, but you manage your time, you manage your stress, you manage your life. Everybody has equal amounts of time. Mother Teresa had the same amount of time you did, and Michelangelo had the same amount of time you did. Bill Gates has the same amount of time you do. It's what we do with that time and what we prioritize with that time. So, no, I'm sorry. This just isn't important to you. So don't tell me you don't have enough time. What other habits do you have maybe on a daily or a weekly basis for that matter that really contribute to your mental health and well-being outside of meditation, outside of the, the, the three days per month? So I take my sleep very seriously. 
and like very, very seriously. For me, it's like a marathon sport, you know, like one of these things that you sort of obsess over because you can't just get up and like go run a marathon. Just like I can't just get up and like fall asleep. Like, and it, it for me, it's really about like, how can I perfect this? For me, it has become a matter of perfecting that seven and a half, eight hours so I can have maximum energy in the morning. So that's one thing is that I take my sleep absolutely very, very seriously. So I am always looking for the right teas that I can drink and the right amount of tea and how do I wind down and the blue screen protectors and the vitamins that I can take that help with that. And, you know, stopping my coffee at 530 in the morning and nothing caffeinated after that, like really obsessing about it. So that's one thing that I would say is that my secret to my youth is my <laughs> sleep um, and youth and my mental health, I would say. The second thing is exercise. I absolutely cannot function if I have not walked every single day or I've not done something rigorous. And, you know, and I felt really like I was going to lose it when we first went into lockdown. But thank God we have this like little way that I can just walk around my house. So we are like in this in in this walled house so I don't have a lot of space so I literally walked in circles and I was like this is how I'm going to keep myself sane is just walk in circles and it actually worked and so that's what I would do is I would walk in circle and there was like a rhythm to it now I feel like a little bit addicted to it in some sense and then the third thing um I pay attention to the little things you know, people think it's the big things that break us or that feel that feed us. But I will order myself flowers. I will make sure I have like aromatherapy at my desk. I will make sure that my room looks zen. I will make sure that I get up and I get dressed and I have my perfume on and I have my jewelry on. These are all things that actually send, you know, signals to me that everything is normal and I am good and everything is beautiful and everything in my environment is calm and I am calm. So these are ways I think these are things that people just neglect. You know, they might like push all the sofas in the corner of the house and then just, no, no, no. Your space sends a signal to your body and that body, you know, nobody, when you walk into a, a spa, no one tells you, all right, Mr. Steven, we would like you to be calm now. No, immediately when you walk in to a spa, you're like, oh, I'm calm. I don't have to. Why? They have all, it's decluttered and there's aromas and there's teas and there's flowers and that's it. So I create these kinds of moments for myself all day long. And I memorize these moments all day long. And by memorizing, I, it's really taking in that moment for three breaths. So if I get my flowers delivered, which happened today, I will sit there and I will look and I will look at it and I will smell it and I will be with it. And I will spend time memorizing these flowers. And that way they're locked into my positive muscle, emotional muscle. And then people should know that we have a very, uh, we have uh, Velcro for negative experience and we're like teflon for positive experiences so we have to suck in the moment and like you know when they say suck the marrow of that moment that's what you have to do and that is actually done through 15 and 20 seconds of being with that so um yeah i do that for myself i think the the what you just said about your space is is something I haven't really heard before. And I think it's so important during this time where we're spending, you know, 90% of our time at home, that our space is a place where we, where we enjoy spending time. I think that's so important. Thank you for sharing that. When we're looking at mental health in this day and age, what do you think are some of the biggest issues that we're facing? The number one, I think, I mean, just according to the World Health Organization, mental health difficulties is the number one cause of disability worldwide. Disability, basically the person cannot function in their day-to-day -day functioning. 
and it's causing them to be, you know, unable basically to work or engage in school or do the things that they do in order to be a productive, healthy member of society. So it's the number one cause of disability worldwide. And this is not because of Corona. This was way before Corona, maybe three years ago, that it became the number one cause. So mental health difficulties such as depression and anxiety and substance abuse slash addictions, uh, suicidality, I think when people say, when I, when, when you say, well, did you have, um, are you stressed? Are you unhappy? Um, are, do you have, you know, no balance in your life? Everybody says, yes, yes, yes. And then they say, do you think you have a mental health difficulty? People are like, no, I don't. So the idea about what is mental health and mental illness is like elusive to people. Like people don't know what this means. And so I think for mental health, it really is about um, first understanding what is mental health and what is mental illness. And people don't know that. So awareness is lacking. I think number two, there's a lot of stigma that we are facing when it comes to these things. Like, oh, people will see it as a weakness and I don't want to tell my boss and I don't want to tell my husband and I don't want to tell my wife. Like there's a lot of stigma and, and it's still very much like, oh no, I don't need to get help because only like crazy people get help. And like, you have to be like institutionalized and like in a straight jacket. And it's like, eh, come on guys. That's like, so like 1800s, like let's step into 2020 now. And like, it's different. And so stigma and awareness are two big issues. And I'm just talking top level here. But then if we go down and, you know, sort of bottom up, what are people struggling with? It is depression. It is anxiety, it is substance abuse, it is suicidality. And I say these are the probably, and like all of these relationship issues as a result of all of these other things that are happening. I think social media and technology has really disrupted our ability to connect to our communities, connect to our partners, connect to our friends. There's always something in between us and there's always something that we're on to. So we're feeling very lonely. Loneliness leads to depression. We're feeling more hectic. That leads to anxiety. So I think technology really has put a wrench in the whole system for us. And we are like, oh, look, you can buy it at Carrefour. So it can't be so bad for us. Uh, not really. Like the technology itself might be benign, but the way you use it and what you're watching on it is actually not. It can actually be seriously destructive destructive for your mental health. So those would be the issues that I would probably say. And I think technology slash social media have a lot to do with it. And underneath depression, there's a whole lot of shame and perfectionism underneath anxiety, same thing. Like there's so many, we can keep unpacking each one of these things, but, um, but yeah, I think um, there's a lot of people suffering. And I think a lot of people feel out of control. A lot of people feel very lonely. A lot of people feel nobody sees them, even though every little corner of their life is actually being recorded and posted, but nobody sees who they really are. Is because they don't see who they really are, because they don't spend enough time with themselves, which is why I believe solitude is so important. So it's just all playing into each other. And until we stop and slow down and build a relationship with ourselves, build a relationship that is intimate and deeply connected to the people in our life and our children and our partners and our community, we are going to keep struggling. So I have two follow, follow up questions based on what you just said. The first one is, why do you think that a lot of us feel uncomfortable spending time by ourselves? And the second thing is, and this is probably a bit of a generic question, but how can we go about building a deeper and more close relationship with ourselves based on that? Why is it that we are not in relationship to ourselves? Well, right now we spend most of ourselves outside of ourselves, most of the time outside of ourselves, right? We're working, we're looking at social media. You know, there would be times where you would be just sitting at the stoplight and you would just be looking out the window of your car or driving or people are driving by and you would just be engaged with your environment. No more. Now the red light means pick up your phone. 
that's what the red light means and everybody does it. And so unless you consciously say, no, I'm going to spend the next four minutes breathing and checking in with myself, you are still going to see the red light as pick up your phone moment. So I think this is where people are using technology in a very sort of mindless way and a very unconscious way. And they're letting these companies who've created these apps for addictive purposes dictate their reality, dictate their relationship, dictate their engagement. So they don't care about your mental health. They just care about your eyeballs and your attention, right? They don't care if you have a good relationship with your partner or your children. They just care that they can sell those eyeballs to advertisers and that's how they make their money. So they don't really care. And that's why we have given our mental health in the hands of those people. So that's one reason is that we are just highly obsessed with the technology that is in our hands, in our pockets all the time. One, that's why one reason is because we are addicted to everything else outside of us. Number two, I want you to just try it. And I want everyone who's listening to just try it. Spend five minutes sitting by your window doing nothing. And just see how noisy it is inside of you. And then you're like, oh, oh. And then you're like, well, maybe I should do something. Maybe I should answer an email. Or maybe I should call somebody. Or So we are also addicted to productivity. And we have like FOMO, which is the fear of missing out. So that's another reason why socially driven individuals, which we are, we actually want to know what other social creatures are doing, and we also want to be productive. So we are addicted to the adrenaline of the productivity, okay? So that's the second reason. The third reason is that no one taught us how to sit with ourselves, actually. They taught us how to read. They taught us how to do math. They taught us how to do science. They taught us how to gym. They taught us how to PE. But no one said, all right, honey, now you're going to sit and be with yourself. Even when they did timeouts, it was like done as a punitive way. You know, no one taught us how to do time in. How do you do time in? And how do you just sit with yourself? No one teaches you how to meditate. No one teaches you how to, how do you engage with your inner voice? Or how do you engage with the different parts of you? Nope, it was not on the lesson plan. And so we are just sort of thrown into the jungle <laughs> of social media conglomerates and we actually are in their hands basically so no one taught us number four i would say is that um we actually um we actually are very much driven um by this need to want to connect to people and um and that loneliness feeds that anxiety. So there's a lot of anxiety around wanting to connect. And so that phone makes it easier for us to connect. And I say probably these would be the four reasons is that no one taught us. We don't know how to do it, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what should you do if that, okay, you're like, yep, me, that's me. That's me also. All right. Now, what should I do? I would say start developing a relationship with yourself just the way you would if you were to go hang out with your friend. You want to just go hang out with your friend and put a phone in front of your face, right? You would sit, you would order a coffee, you would say, hey, man, how's it going? And they would start talking and then you would say, all right, and then what about that? And what about that? And what about that? And then you start to develop this curious conversation with yourself. You're asking, you're journaling, you're wondering, you might need journal um, prompts in the beginning, just to understand yourself a little bit. On my Instagram account, I have a link to the values inventory assessment um, from uh, UPenn, which just tells you a little bit more about yourself. You can do the MBTI, which is the Myers-Briggs personality test. Again, it just tells you a little bit more. I don't think these things are written in stone, but they just start to say, ah, oh, I didn't realize I was so introverted or I didn't. This is, again, you're being curious about yourself. You don't know who you are. And I sure as heck am not the same person I was like last Thursday. So I'm like different today. So who am I today? What am I wanting today? Where am I at today? What am I feeling today? Another thing I would say is get good at feeling feelings. If you don't know how to feel feelings, you don't know how to name feelings, you don't know how to know, you don't know what happens viscerally in your body. You probably are like without a signal in the middle of the ocean on a boat. So you need your little, you know, 
signals to tell you which way is north and south and east. So you need that. And so the, the feelings will actually say, Ooh, man, I do not like being around that guy. He is so like agitating to my energy system. But what the more sensitive you get, the more all of a sudden you have signals sending to your brain saying, be curious about this, Saleha. Be curious about that one too. Be curious about that one. So that's just the beginnings of you building a relationship with yourself. And then you go deeper and deeper. I engage in therapy. I have been in analysis for many years now, um, psychotherapy with a therapist, and I'm a big fan of therapy. And it's not like I'm like, oh, I'm depressed or I'm anxious, although there were times where I was also that. But at this time is really insight oriented therapy. You know, I, this happened and I wonder what that triggered in me. And that reminded me of childhood and how can I heal that wound? And all of a sudden you start to unpack your different patterns. You get to unpack the things that you like about people. And that that might be things you don't like about yourself and, and, and so insight oriented therapy, journaling, um, taking the values inventory, taking these uh, uh, standardized personality assessments, and not just this like 10 year, 10 question and, you know, an answer free thing that you get online. Don't do that. The Myers-Briggs personality assessment is a great way to sort of get a, you know, some sense. Um, And then, yeah, just sitting alone with yourself without a book, without anything, and just being with yourself and hearing your voice. When you said feel your feelings, is there some sort of process as to how to go about that? Let's say that I'm feeling sad. Do I tell myself, Stefan, you're feeling sad and this is why? Or do I just sort of embrace the sadness? Well, you don't want to be like swimming in the sadness, right? So I have a whole IGTV on how to feel feelings because people are like, uh, I don't know what you mean, because that's also not something that's taught to us. So feeling your feelings is a skill. That means you have to start with the ABCs. And the ABCs is, okay, let's develop a vocabulary. You know, right now we have happy, sad, mad, uh, glad, maybe, right? And that's it. Nobody has these colorful words. Like if I say, oh, I feel so hurt. Oh, I feel hurt. But if I say I feel betrayed, immediately another feeling is released. If I say I feel so jittery, instead of panicked every time or anxious every time, like I feel uneasy, you know that it's a low level anxiety. But when I say anxious, right now we just have the word anxious. We don't have the low level granular vocabulary for anxiety. So develop a vocabulary, be curious about it, understand it. Oh man, I feel angry right now. And the mantra I usually say to people is soft front, strong back. Now there's um, a researcher and it skips my um, mind right now, her name. Uh, but she said she studied emotions and she said that emotions come in a wave of 90 seconds. There will be a rise and then it will just drop out unless you hook onto the story. So here's how it goes. I feel sad because I miss my mom. So I feel like sadness. You soften your front and straight, strong back, soft front, strong back. Immediately when we feel sad, we're like, oh my God, I don't want to feel sad. Oh my God, here it comes. Here's the thing. We start freaking out about the sadness. Don't freak out. Just chill. Slow down. Soften your front, strong back. I feel sad right now. All right. What's the sadness here to tell me? I feel sad. What could you be feeling sad about? I feel sad that I haven't seen my mom in so many months. And I feel sad that, you know, I, that I won't see her for another few months and God knows when I will see her. And I feel sad about that. Okay. Feel the feeling, breathe it in and out, breathe it in and out. And then say, what's the message here? Sadness. And it would say, well, you miss your mom. So maybe you should call her. Okay. Pick up the phone and call the mom. Listen to the emotions as a signal to tell you what you need to do. Well, we end up, oh my God, I'm so sad. I'm so sad. And you know what else I'm sad about? I'm sad that there won't be a New Year's party. And I'm sad I can't go to the movies. And I'm sad. All of a sudden, we hooked onto the story and then we feed it and we feed it and we feed it. We actually don't listen to the original signal. We just feed the drama then. So listen to the feeling, soften into the feeling, breathe it in, breathe it out. The more precise you are 
about the feeling, you might actually even start to say, well, where do I feel the sadness? Oh, I feel it in my heart. I feel it actually in my liver. Like I feel it, you know, I feel it in my ankles. Like I remember when I was starting to really get into emotions, like I would feel shame around my ankles. I would feel stress in my back. I would feel hurt in my chest. I would feel betrayal in like my liver. It was a weird feeling. Actually, like my left kidney. And so you start to get really nuanced. And then immediately when that feeling hits the body, you're like, oh, I'm feeling guilty about something or I'm feeling ashamed about something. And that's it. Okay, what's that here to tell you? And then you listen to the message because emotions are absolutely sophisticated messengers from beyond. They're here to tell you that something matters. Listen, instead of drowning in the feeling. Based on that, I have another follow-up question. Because I think feeling the feelings will also um, come as a result of you getting in touch with yourself, which comes as a result of you spending time with yourself. And whether it's through meditation, whether it's through journaling, whether it's through sitting next to the window for five minutes, I think what a lot of people have issues with is the consistency of that. Because what I've witnessed when I, I mean, I started my meditation journey close to 12 years ago. But in the beginning of that, it was very difficult to stick with it. Because there were so many thoughts running through my mind, right? Once you become a practiced or more experienced meditator, the amount of, let's call it noise in your head is significantly less than it was when you first started out. How would you or what would you say to somebody who is starting this process today as a result of this conversation on how to basically stay consistent with their practice, whatever that practice may be? So I think what social media has done, it has actually given us the final product of everything, right? We see these picture perfect filtered airbrushed versions of the finished thing and everything is in their precise place and everything looks perfect. And we think that this is how we should be starting off as, but think about the little kid who starts to walk and think about the little kid who starts to read. He's not reading Shakespeare. He's reading the alphabet, ah, uh, ah, uh, blah, blah. And then he's struggling and then he throws the book out the window and like he can't do it anymore and it's stressful and he gets it wrong and 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 not yet, not yet, not yet. And then one day he reads the book. Okay, that's what we are doing here. We're just learning. And I think this idea that you should be like a master meditator is like, even master meditators are not master meditators. <laughs> like our mind is cluttered, man. We're like up against a storm here. And so I think what I would recommend is start with tiny little parts. So I remember when I first started meditating and like, if you could just have a little bit of a look inside of my mind as to how many thoughts are there in one given moment, it would look like a field of 200 stallions running at the same time. And then you're trying to hold and rein them back in at the same time when you ask me to sit still. Like I feel nauseous when I have to sit still. Like I want to throw up. This is how I was. I told my sister and she can like meditate for like 15 hours at a time, like nonstop, literally. And so I'm like, okay, okay, fine. I want to meditate, but I can't. Like it makes me want to throw up because it's so... I'm so hyperactive inside of me, right? And so she said, okay, do it for 10 seconds a day. I was like, oh, all right, I can do 10 seconds. And so I did it for 10 seconds. And so focus on the breath for even the 10 seconds, like the thought was here. And then, you know, people think it's supposed to be easy. Okay, and then you bring it back and then you bring it back and then you bring it back. And then you, even the 10 seconds, I had like 75 thoughts. But I brought it back to the breath and then I got up and I said, Whoop, I meditated today and moving on. And the next thing I did it. And then the next day I did it. And then one day I said, you know what? I'm ready for 20 seconds. And then I did it for 20 seconds. And then I did that for a week. And then I did it for 40 seconds. And I did that. And then I, so take micro, micro moves towards your goal. Because the goal is to show up. You don't even have to do all of it. And I think this is where the neural pathway, when we know about neuroplasticity, is that whatever fires together will wire together. 
okay? We have neural pathways in our brain. And if you keep firing it, so just fire it a little bit and then be on your way, but don't stop because we keep firing and we keep firing and we keep firing and we keep firing. And one day it just becomes easier. And some people will say, but man, I've been meditating for like a year and I still struggle. Okay, that's fine. It's a muscle. Muscle is developing. You're up against a storm. It's fine. So think about your mind as a physical muscle. You don't go into the gym and start bench pressing 100 pounds the first day. You start with like a tiny three pound bell and then you move up from there. And then you build, build, build. And you're like, today I'm ready for the five. And then you do it. And then some days you're like, oh my God, I can only do two reps. Okay, just do two reps. Just show up at the gym, man. Just do that. That's it. So I think it's just a shift in your mindset about how to do this. Nobody tells you how to do this. People just all of a sudden look so zen and they're sitting on this couch and they're like not moving. And then you're thinking, gosh, darn it, man. Like, how can I look like, no, inside there's a war going on. <laughs> okay. Doesn't look like that inside of them. So just micro steps, start with your own baseline Start with 10 seconds, start with 10, you know, steps if you're trying to do physical exercise and then just show up every day, just show up every day. Yeah, I think it's very important to also, you briefly mentioned this, to not compare yourself to somebody else in the situation. Like when you're looking, when you're meditating or you're doing yoga or you're in the gym or whatever it is, just focus on your own practice and don't get discouraged by by anyone else. Yeah. But the more you know yourself, the easier that will become. Yeah. Because you'll be, you'll know what your strengths are. You'll know what your weaknesses are. You'll know what you struggle with. You know when it will be easy. You know when it will, because you know yourself. Just like if you have a little kid and you're paying really close attention to this kid, you know it's minus, plus, pros, cons, all of that, right? All the things that this person could be doing and how they could be doing it because you're watching so closely. That's how it should be. That's your relationship with yourself that, you know what, today was not a good day and that's okay. Moving on tomorrow will be better. And, and so, you know, your own baseline and you just keep saying yet, not yet. I don't know it yet. Rather than I don't know how to meditate. I don't know how to meditate yet. I don't have time to meditate. It's not important for me to meditate yet. I think on top of that, and to your 10 second sort of example, is to celebrate those small successes as well. I think it's important for us to say, you know what, Stefan, you did 10 seconds of meditation today. Great job. There's like fireworks that go off. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> for sure. You do need to celebrate those things. Those are huge things. And that means you are moving in the direction of the person you want to become. And always link your you know, habits the things you want to do to the type of person you want to become. I want to, instead of saying, I want to meditate 10 seconds or I want to meditate whatever because everyone else is doing it and it seems like the right thing to do. No, I want to meditate because I want to be a calmer, less reactive, grounded person. That's the kind of person I want to be. When you link it to that, then you move in that direction because you say, oh, okay, I'm moving in the direction of the type of person I want to be in the values that I want to be living and do, you know, uh, being aligned with. One of the things that I've learned in, in my life this year is that my priorities have changed tremendously as a result of COVID, as a result of spending more time inside. Like I've started prioritizing my family more. I've started prioritizing my mental and physical health more. And I've started saying no to a lot more things. So have maybe have your priorities shifted at all or have you have you seen that happen with other people? Yeah, I think priorities have shifted for everybody on some level. I just I feel like I trust myself more this year. I feel when the systems start to shake and there's so many things that are uncertain and there's so many things that are moving, there's so many moving parts. I feel like I quietened down, I focused on stillness, I listened to myself, and I asked myself, 
And I really realized that, okay, I know what I'm doing and in, in whatever I was up against, right? Whether it was me writing a blog or me writing, uh, you know, a PowerPoint or a presentation or dealing with my children and remote learning, because that's what we're doing right now. And just, I felt like, stop listening to all the noise and just ask yourself, what is it that you should do? And then listen to the very quiet voice because that voice is not loud. That loud voice is usually your ego, the saboteur. It's going to be the one that, oh, no, you don't, no, you don't, you don't know. Shh. And then listen to this quiet voice and says, do you think your children should go to school or do you think they should stay home? And then that voice will say, stay home. And that little voice doesn't talk very much. It's very quiet. And it just says one or two words. Yes, no, go, stay. It's usually like that. If you ask a question, trust that. Trust that voice. And I feel, you know, I've just not been as hard on myself this year. And everyone's struggling. I think this is one thing that has brought to light that we are all in this together and we're all connected and we're all struggling. I don't care who you are. You could be the Zen master of God knows what, but you're struggling at this time. Because there's your neighbor is struggling and your friends are struggling. Everybody's in this. And so there's something so common and that activates my compassion. And it just activates like a lot more self-trust in me. So what I learned, which is probably a transformational lesson, it didn't just change my life. It transformed me fundamentally, I would say, is trust that voice. Once you've built a relationship with yourself, trust it. It knows what it needs to do. It's always known what it needed to do. You just weren't listening. So the loud voice is the ego. Is the is the soft voice your gut feeling? Yeah, it's your intuition, your gut. It comes from here. It comes from the center of you. And if you listen, you will actually hear both voices. This will be like, oh, no, don't do it. Uh-uh, you shouldn't. Don't even think about it. You're going to fail. Uh, uh, and it keeps talking. But the other one says, well, what's the worst that could happen? And you're like, hmm, I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> and so it's really actually very still. And if you put your hand in your, like in your gut, like if you put it right at your gut, you can actually feel it. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to see what happens. Let's just go with it. But it's the spirit inside of you that actually communicates. But this one is so loud. Um, and we're not still enough to actually hear the other one. That's the problem. So still it and listen. It knows the way. Beautiful. Dr. Sahida, thank you so much for an incredible episode. I think we just did an hour which flew by. And we've learned, I've learned a tremendous amount. And I think the listeners will as well. We are super grateful and super thankful that you could be here today. Thank you for having me. It was my honor. Thank you. Life has always been uncertain, but we have the illusion of certainty. We never know what tomorrow brings, but we were all used to a certain rhythm. But what can we do in this time of additional discomfort to improve our inner peace and our mental health and well-being? Here are six points. One, be gentle with yourself. We might have had a big expectation of 2020 and things may not have panned out exactly the way you imagined, but be kind to yourself. Lift the pressure off, lift the expectations off and become hyper-focused on just two things, your physical health and your psychological health. Number two, when your mind feels out of control, exercise, eat right, drink two liters of water a day and make sure you take your probiotics especially if you're using a lot of antibacterial products because it kills off the good bacteria. All of these will make sure your physical body is in shape and your mind will align. Number three, we've created a lot of noise in our heads through social media, Netflix, etc., And we've done this mindlessly and unconsciously. Be aware of the information you consume and how much of it you take on on a daily basis. I started setting a timer for how long you can be on Instagram or WhatsApp for. Give that a go. Number four, we tend to jump from thing to thing, email to meeting without a break in between. Try to fill in the transition phases with five minutes of sitting, breathing, having some tea, watching out of the window, just doing nothing. 
Do that consistently and reset your mind. Number five, other key habits that I think are valuable for you to integrate into your life are taking your sleep seriously, get those seven, eight hours without an excuse, and take care of the space you live in, especially now that we're spending a lot of time at home. Make sure it's clean, uncluttered, and something that makes you feel happy and peaceful. And finally, number six, take an information break. Can you go one or two days without news, social media, TV, or Netflix? Connect with yourself or with others. 